Live. You listen to the Sullivan County Democrat Podcast. My name is Patricio Robayo. I'm a staff reporter here at the paper. Today we have a special podcast. We're joined by Brian Fockett from the Pro- Prohibition Distillery and Melinda Mack from the Governor's Cuomo's New York Forward Advisory Board. Thank you so much, guys, for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. So uh, we just jump into the questions. Hope, uh, first of all, hope everyone's doing safe and doing well during this uh, crisis that we're, we're going through right now. Um, I just want to, I guess, start off with Brian. Uh, what made what made Prohibition Distillery want to make hand sanitizers? Um, I guess it wasn't want to. Um, I think there was a need that wasn't being met. Um, I was speaking with a lot of the first responders down in New York City hospitals uh, that that are friends of mine, surgeons that were without products, and they were searching, uh, literally searching and scouring drug stores to go get things that they needed that they couldn't find. So. Um, I had a choice. Uh, if you think about it, every restaurant and bar is closed, right? They, that's where we sell our products. Um, most of our market is actually Manhattan is the majority of our market. Our tasting room is vital to us for survival. That's, that's kind of how we work. We're, we're a, happen to be a manufacturer. We happen to be a, a larger craft distillery, but we're so fragile. So when this happened, I had a choice to either shut my doors because that's what I, I think the numbers were telling me, even right off the bat, because people buy big brands, they don't buy small brands, um, or make sanitizer to help people. And, and uh, every time at my distillery, if we have a chance to do something good, we do something good. And I was really hoping that my bank account could support it. So I took all of the last of our money and I put it into hand sanitizer. That's why, I, so I did it to help people. Can you walk us through the process a little bit of how you, you're making it? Um, yeah, what we did is uh, something that's a little unique about it. A lot of a lot of uh, sanitizers, uh, distilleries went, and they're smaller than us. I've been doing this now for 12 years. We're one of the first um, distilleries in in the market in general. Um, so what I did is is uh, partnered with one of the New York ethanol companies out in Western New York, who had the ability to make things in a little bit bigger scale than what I can make. Because you think about it, I'm making handcrafted spirits. Right. Well, that's great when you want to make 40 gallons or something or five gallons or 10. But when you're trying to go through and satisfy the demand of New York, right? New York has, you know, tens of millions of people. How do you go through and do it? So what we did is we bought all new equipment, bought all new bottling lines, bought all new everything. If you were to come by our distillery, you'll see we have tractor trailers all throughout the street that we've, we've expanded our, our business to go and fill instead of small bottles, five gallon buckets. Right. So from, from our standpoint of how do we retool and how do we make it, we use, uh, we use the, federal, the FDA guideline. They created a World Health Organization standard for hand sanitizer. This isn't that cute little gel stuff with little scents and all that stuff in it. That's awesome for marketing companies who kind of failed the marketplace. Um, what we're using is 80% ethanol, extremely high proof, which actually works to sanitize. We use food grade glycerin and food grade hydrogen peroxide. All three things that on their own are harmless. We can actually drink, don't, please don't drink hand sanitizer because we have different agents. This is not our drinking alcohol. What we do is we, we were able to go and take three things that distilleries are allowed to use, all food grade items, and turn it into an antiseptic. So we followed the guidelines and worked with, um, you know, I, I fortunately was able to work 
Um, uh, on my role, I'm also on the New York State Distillers Guild Board, and I was acting as a conduit of information from DC, uh, from Albany, thanks to the governor's office, which is phenomenal with all this, and the State Liquor Authority, and, the, and I went and helped advise other distilleries to go and set up their operations to do it in this manner. So it's kind of cool as New York built a hell of an infrastructure. We're just hoping that that uh, with all these, these I'll call them, um, what do they call those profiteers that are out there right now, flooding the market, blocking small companies like for me from using Facebook to advertise. Because I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but now we can't do it because other companies are trying to gouge people. Um, we're just kind of in a stuck position with all this capacity, all this supply, and no way to get it to market. It's a real fun time. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing that you were able to put all that together in such a short time. It, it, it's, it's crazy to see how we pivoted and it's quite remarkable. We employ 12 more people here that were, a lot of them are business owners from the area that businesses went under. Yeah. A lot of them were people that were found themselves out of work, but didn't want to go on unemployment and they wanted, they still wanted to work because they didn't want to go stir crazy. Um, so we made a really, it's amazing the impact and that we were able to actually even do this. Um, still trying to figure out one day how we did it. Right. How are, who are you distributing the sanitizer to? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned frontline workers. Are you going getting it to the hospitals? Well, it's kind of weird is that, I'll tell you with the hospitals early on, the hospitals, and I spoke with a lot of the major hospitals. I was speaking to the senior directors and unfortunately their purchasing way that they purchased, I'm, I'm hoping that they can go away from being such a corporate regimented register your product with this organization and that organization and that while people are dying. I'm sorry. It's just a, it's, it was an interesting time that you said you have something, but they're not willing to take it because they're used to buying it through this person that you didn't, we weren't set up that way. So a lot of our sanitizer, well, it, yes, it went to hospitals, nursing homes. Um, uh, gosh, uh, you know, all the private practices that are out there. So what we did as a distillery and we still do, is we basically are giving it away at our cost to frontline workers, and then we're charging another price to for-profit companies. So we had a couple of very large shipping companies out of the White House, um, on the White House lawn, when they had uh, the transportation day, they thanked only, it was pretty cool, is getting your name called out as a thank you from, from trucking companies, because we, our, our position, after speaking with folks at the New York State, um, economic development, they said, hey, the trucking industry, the food industries, you know, like chicken plants that are local and food processing, they need to be protected. So we went and we started going through and diverting and getting in touch with the bigger guys who had nothing either. Um, so we went and supplied a lot of the major, you know, anyone who's visited your home, probably in the, across the United States might have been touched by some New York hand sanitizer. Um, to drop off a package or this or that. So it, it's really free. It's amazing to say when we, what we did for the last five, six weeks, how our little company that was making 100 gallons a week turned into making 40,000 gallons. Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty awesome. Wow. So you, now you're making 40,000 gallons a, a week? Okay. No, no, over that time. We're capable of making 10,000 gallons a week, okay. but you know, in the end, this is not our line of business. And at some point, someone's going to go pull a lever down in Washington, D.C. and say there's no state of emergency. No one's sick anymore. Um, and the, our ability to make hand sanitizer will be shut down. 
right. it's a it's because it's a food and drug administration only gave small distillers till June. Okay. So you can imagine I've scaled up, bought all this equipment, bought all this yeah. bottling line to meet the needs, and the Food and Drug Administration still has not decided to to extend it beyond June thirtieth. Wow. So it's going to be interesting for all for everybody across the country who's helped out. And I guess uh, this sort of goes into uh, Melinda. If you ask, uh, tell me what's your role in Governor's New York Board Advisory Board, and how has been your experience so far? Yeah, so my name is Melinda Mack. I run the New York State Workforce Association, also known as NIATEP, and was recently appointed to the Governor's New York Forward um, Advisory Board around reopening the economy. And just to sort of tag on to what Brian shared, um, you know, the other thing that I will say is there's many other workers who are essential workers who are not necessarily classified as essential workers who are in desperate need of PPE or public protective equipment and hand sanitizer. So one of the things that we did is we actually looped around, got in touch with Brian's distillery, to make sure that the New York City homeless shelters, individuals who work on the front line delivering meals to, to seniors, like that those folks know that this is a resource that they could direct purchase from because they are also struggling to figure out ways to be able to access this, this stuff and be safe. And so again, we're, we're actually really grateful that there's these other lines or places that we can go. Um, one of the challenges though is to, bend, to be like, how do you coordinate all of that? So like everyone can deliver so much, but the need is so huge. So even for us as a state association, just being able to pull together who's making PPE and who's shifted production. So we know where you can buy masks, if they're up to FDA standards, if they're up to the CDC standards, what does that mean? Where do you purchase them? It's been a really big lift just generally, but I would say like we're super grateful to companies like Brian's because otherwise many of the workers who again are delivering services directly to people across the state, um, they wouldn't have had a, anything that would be protecting them. Right. So in terms of my role, um, I'm sort of known as the workforce development guru across the state. So I'm the person who is consistently and constantly talking about education, job training, and employment services. Um, and most importantly, that sort of in a state like ours, everybody who is willing and able to work should be able to work in a good paying job. And so part of my role on the governor's task force is to really think through, um, we in some ways have a way to think differently about how our economy is structured when we come back, right? And right. what we've started to see, especially with unemployment insurance and some of the challenges with the pandemic unemployment assistance, you know, some people are making more money on unemployment than they would have been in most of the jobs, right? And so we're in this like interesting philosophical spot where we know that across the state, about 42% of New Yorkers have a high school diploma or less. And so if you needed to get a good or better job, it'd actually be really hard for you to do that because you don't have the qualifications necessary to be successful. And really what we think it's our job to help drive businesses like Brian's by making sure that they have amazing talent and right. smart people, folks who are dedicated, who can come to work every day, um, but more importantly, have the credentials necessary to do the job well. So that's sort of my role on the New York Forward Task Force. Okay. And, and I did want to add, Patricia, that the New York State, and, and I can't say it enough, is the response that anything my industry has needed. We've had a direct line with the state liquor authority, you know, and, and it's not just this, the state went and allowed us to keep our doors open and declared us essential before right. they knew, they knew what they had in us, but they weren't sure how it was going to respond because we're private businesses. And it was amazing the decision the governor made to keep distilleries and breweries open. Yes, people need a drink, but they were looking at it that we had the licenses to make this. So, so it, it really has been, when you talk about Lyft, it's been insane to see how much um, red tape, I will say, and, and has been cleared 
and we're just hoping that long term, um, now that we know these problems existed, to actually take that red tape, re put legislature in place, uh, legislation in place that allow us to operate in the future. That you know maybe we get called upon again. We actually have things that are already built that we knew you know that we don't repeat this uh, this challenge. Right. I guess, I mean, that's another question sort of uh, for both of you guys. How does, like, I guess, Brian's hand sanitizer fit into the whole scheme of things of, of you know, getting New York uh, ready for PPEs and, and getting out there? How does, how does Brian fit into that picture? Well, Brian fits in because he's already been a great asset to the state, right? right. But I think just generally, um, you know, when we think about the phased reopening, um, the governor is starting to roll out phased reopening across the state. And there's certain metrics, as you can see, if you go onto the, the website, the New York Board website, that regions have to meet from contact tracing to testing to actually making sure that businesses have safe practices in place so people can return to work. You know, one of the workforce issues that's coming out right now is, you know, people need to have the skills. They, we need to be investing in their skills. But in addition to that, people need to feel safe going to work. You know, in some ways, like it's going to become a job quality issue. Employers are going to have to be able to say, I'm meeting the CDC guidelines and more. Right. And these are the right. things that I have in place. And these are some of the, the products that I'm using to keep you safe. And so I think that the challenge is going to be and I'm I'm interested to hear that there's a June end date for this because there's no no possible way that June is going to be the time where we need less production of these types of materials. I think we're going to be in a situation here where we actually need a year or two or three years worth of these types of materials because it's going to be a long road to recovery. Um, and so, again, I think companies like what Brian's been able to put together, again, up here in the Albany or in the capital region, so many suppliers have, and businesses and manufacturers have shifted to production of PPE, whether it be face masks or, you know, protective equipment or suits. Like, we're going to still need that stuff. And so I think the long road recovery is really thinking about what is it going to take to get back to the businesses, the business before? <laughs> what was like your specialty before and how long will that come on? How long will it take to come on board? Um, but in addition to that, like what skills are going to be needed to adapt it, be adapted for the people who are working those jobs. So a lot of folks have been doing it, you know, with just a small staff that they could maintain safely as production has shifted and they're really scaling up or it's going to be needed across the country. We're going to actually have to adapt people's skills because their skills are going to be different or needed in a different manner than they were previously on the job. So I, I'm going to actually be talking about what Brian has shared yeah, <laughs> to my lobbyists and, in DC. <laughs> and and what what I'm doing and and just to take it from a, a smaller scale is that I've always looked at things in bigger pictures. Um, you know, my goal in life was you know making something small is wonderful, but you, we learn certain we learn from from the mistakes that it's not mistakes, but it was uh, what we didn't know. Um, what I've actually proposed to New York State, and, and uh, Melinda, you probably haven't heard this because I just spoke to someone from economic development that's on another task force, is that what we were proposing is to actually go and build build the infrastructure, you know, and actually put into, uh, I'm calling it the strategic reserve for New York sanitizer. Um, so I, I'm trying to put forth a business plan that can be, um, actually can can work very well in partnership with the ethanol plant here in New York to go and put out and take New York one, take all of New York State's hospitals off the grid, take everything in New York State that's health related. Um, and you will, we're going to call two things is that you have, when you're looking at it, you have uh, government offices, prisons, you know, uh, nursing homes, uh, hospitals, anything that's going to be on that nonprofit side, uh, you know, food, sh uh, uh, shelters and this and that 
there's a certain need for that. But then there's what we call the retail opportunity. And I don't look at it as retail, but that's what it's talked about, right? If it's not essential, it becomes retail, meaning regular person like you, you sitting over at the Democrat. Now, to me, that's not retail. That's a life. That's, a, that's somebody in, the United, or in, in New York State that needs to be protected. So what I'm actually proposing and trying to, to go and put forth is a scaled plan, because if you ask anybody, and, I, and Melinda, you've been in these conversations, I'm sure, if you're trying to build a business, right, to go say, how much do we need? The question is, it, no one knows how much you need to protect the hands. So you can take how many hands we all have in New York State and then go and say, how many times a day will we need to go wash them with sanitizer? How many restaurants that you walk into, auto garages, car dealerships, uh, anywhere you go, you need to have something to be able to wash your hands in this environment. So for me, you know, my future and what I'm trying to do for New York State, or at least with New York State, would be to create a strategic facility to actually manufacture not only alcohol for drinking, but have enough on hand so that we have that two to three year reserve. That in case anyone coming into airports in New York State, right? We rely so much on international tourism, the Catskills, most of our stuff is tourism. Yeah. Why aren't we, we're going to have to figure out a way to say, hey, welcome, welcome you know, to New York, but wash your hands. Right. If you can't wash your hands, take this sanitizer made here in New York that we're not waiting on plastic bottles from China because there's no plastic bottles in the United States anymore. If you notice, try to find little screw caps. They're, they're backed up to August, September. So there's nothing like that. We, we're missing infrastructure. So I think what New York State is, they're starting to look at it, much as I've looked at on the ethanol supply chain. I've been the boy who's cried wolf for a number of years because I kept saying there's no ethanol in New York State. All these little stills can't make what we need to protect ourselves. Now we're at the point where we need to plan. And that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping to be able to lead that charge and present the plan at some point to the governor's office because I would like to say, here's what it is. How much do you need? Let's build it and protect everyone. At least that's what I, I, I kind of kind of want to give everybody a big hug. <laughs> no, I think that's great. And actually, this, this leads into my next question, uh, because the governor has talked about his dislike to how PPEs are made in China. And that's sort of caused a problem because there's a backlog now of, of everyone's buying from China and everything's made in China. And they had a shutdown of their own. So that things got delayed. Uh, I want to see if maybe Melinda can answer this. What, what, what can New York do to move away from that and make PP here in the state? Yeah, well, I think overall, like when we talk about just supply and demand, I think there's an overarching issue generally about the availability of that type of stuff in New York State um, writ large. So there's, there's just general issues around supply and demand, right? And the unfortunate reality is, is like often that stuff is produced because you can buy it at scale much cheaper. Right. And so part of this is around how we restructure the incentives that we can provide and also the infrastructure support that Brian's describing so that it's not this huge ramp up that's super expensive that drives the prices up at that moment of crisis. We're actually using this as an opportunity to create the infrastructure that you need to be able to be responsive. And that's I think that's happening across the board, because I think what we've recognized is this crisis in particular has impacted nearly every sector. Right. They're reimagining the education system. We're going to be rethinking how we do college. We're going to have to rethink the way that we do education and training. We're going to have to rethink the way that we do business, right? So I think I, sh I share that because in some ways we're at a really interesting inflection point where I think we will be restructuring the way we do things across the state. 
um, but more importantly around supply chains. I think we've started to recognize the critical nature of where we buy and sell and how interrupted supply chains have actually caused a lot of struggle and challenge and our ability to quickly respond. So I think, I think Brian is right on with what he's describing. Um, and I think we're going to see that across many other key sectors that are providing these types of deliverables. And, and, and Patricio, on, on this, one of the neat things, what New York's slogan for the last God knows how many years has been New York's open for business. <laughs> yes, I think, I think following this, that slogan has always been there. It's always been welcoming to people's businesses. But uh, there's, there's so many people that want to help and that want to pivot. Um, but what you are seeing with the big companies that went out and outsourced all their PPE manufacturing overseas, it is, it's interesting to see all these great companies that went and put all their chemical plants overseas and did all these different pieces. That, that return to that infrastructure, it, it's, it's going to take time. It's not an overnight thing. Um, but every, everything that I've seen is everyone's committed to making those things happen. And I don't think I don't think any other state is in the position that New York State is with all the talent that's actually here. Whether or not it's on small scale, I think there's a way to blossom this thing and, and grow it. Yeah, I mean, uh, for sure. I know the uh, Suffolk County uh, Partnership for Economic Development is that's one of their things they're pushing is uh, not to put all our eggs in one basket in tourism. That, that's been our big you know, bread and butter for years. But to sort of diversify and, and have Sullivan County as sort of a manufacturing uh, place. Um, and we can see that now, you know, since now a lot of the tourism stuff is done, the hotels are shut down, everything's down. But if we had manufacturing here, that could have been a nice source of income coming in. Well, but, but you look at the tourism for Sullivan County, and I will tell you, every place in New York State relies so heavily on tourism. Restaurants yeah. is, you know, restaurant and bars. That's the majority of the jobs that are lost right now, right? They're all in, in the hospitality industry. So our country is such a service providing country, right? We've shifted from, you know, that you're, everything's outsourced and you have salespeople here. Our salespeople are smarter, whatever it's going to be. But that, that idea of return to uh, from what the hospitality sector is, it may have dried up. It, they're, they're reimagining. It's really creative because I wear both hats. I'm on the hospitality because I, I want to be serving drinks. How do I serve a drink? you know, in the, in the future, you know, if you don't realize what's coming is if you want to go through and wear a drink or make a drink, I'm going to have to be wearing gloves. I'm going to have to be wearing a mask. I'm going to have to serve that person. Then I'm not going to be able to make another drink until I go change my gloves and my mask. You know, the, this whole thing's going to be rethought, but I think the tourism, I honestly got to say is in the Catskills. Tourism is going to be what brings back the, the, you know, it's going to be bring back and give us that opportunity for manufacturing, oddly enough, because people are going to see the beauty of what, that's how I got here. You know, if it wasn't for tourism, there'd be no prohibition distillery even finding this part. So, so the tourism is what really attracts a lot of people like me that go, wow, there's so much land. There's so much, there's so many good people, well-trained people. How do we go and tap into it? And places like the partnership, and the IDA in those places, they're, they're trying to recruit these. So I think, I think we have a strong position in this county to welcome and embrace the, uh, you know, the future, I think, can be based out of here. Because you got to think, Sullivan County is two hours from every place in New York that matters. No offense to the people that are three hours away. Yeah, the Buffaloans, right? <laughs> but it's four hours to those guys, which is fine, because you can set up another hub and you're, you're there in two hours. 
but I, I, I do think Sullivan County and, and I, my hat's off to the, the hospitality people because, you know, they're, they're doing what they can to uh, keep this, this thing waiting, you know, to, to get back at it. No, definitely, definitely. Um, so I, I guess that that's leads into also my next question, I guess for Melinda and, and I guess Brian can answer to this too. What things had to be in place in the workforce so they can make a safe return? Um, and how can that be enforced? Uh, you know, like there's, you know, you see some reports of businesses opening before the phase uh, reopening part. And um, I, in some states, so someone got, uh, the owner got arrested for opening his business for Mother's Day. So, you know, uh, you know, we all want to go out to eat. We all want to go to restaurants. I miss going out to have a nice drink somewhere at, at, uh, at a distillery or going to a restaurant. Uh, so what things have to be in the workforce uh, in place for a safe return? I mean, I'll sort of say, I think it, it, the, the reality is it depends on the sector, right? I think every sector, be, depending on the sector you're in, like you have a different circumstance in terms of how you can meet the guidelines of the governor and the CDC and others have set forth. Um, but the good news is like the CDC and OSHA have put together some really valuable and helpful tools that business owners can look at right away. I think the challenges, as Brian is describing, like you're not going to be able to return to the same volume of business, recognizing the new requirements that have to be in place to keep people safe. And the unknown is how long we're going to have to be in the situation. Like, are we going to be social distancing in restaurants for six years? Is it six months? Is it a year? Like, we just don't know yet. And so I think that's one of the challenges that we're struggling with. But I'm going to go back to one of my earlier comments. I mean, one of the things that has come up and, you know, Brian, Brian has a quality, he's a quality employer. He's a good place to work there are still a lot of places that aren't great places to work, right? And so I think a distinguishing factor beyond wages and your ability to get a better job or upskill or career pathway within a, with an employer is gonna be an employer's ability to market that they are following the guidelines, that they're going above and beyond, they have protective equipment in place. Um, and I think one of the big things we're hearing right now is a lot of employers, if you're able to, will be continuing to have their employees work remotely for at least another five or six months. Right. Like that's the ultimate goal. So, again, I think the challenges is around the flexibility of the change. If you would have said a year ago that 90 percent of employers would be moving to remote work, I think people would have laughed. Yeah. Right. It's a huge shift and a huge change. And it's going to have a lasting long term impact. And now in some ways, people are going to expect it. They're going to say, wait a second, I did my job perfectly fine at home. Why am I commuting for two and a half hours each way? Right. Like I don't want to I want to have a better quality of life. And so, again, I think that is also going to become a marketing part point for employers and in some ways is an exciting way for businesses who could be nimble and quick to restructure to say, hey, listen, I might not be able to pay you $80,000 a year, but I can be super flexible. You can work from home. We have all these other things in place to keep you safe. And we're doing these great things to support our community. It's going to become a no brainer for the communities that get that figured out first. No, definitely. Definitely. And I, I guess uh, my next question is like sort of Brian uh, mentioned it, like if, if, you know, you guys do reopen and you're serving people with gloves and masks and you have to take those gloves off every time you make a, a new drink, how can these uh, safe measures be funded? You know, that, that the business has to invest a lot of money in PPE for themselves on a constant basis. And how, how are they going to get that funding? Well, and, and can I just ask, say one thing? It's not sure. just a matter of when we talk about getting our businesses for reopening is what we're already seeing and what's being reported to us from other bar and restaurant owners. And you mentioned the guy out in Colorado who got shut down. Well, he went and bucked the system and said, I'm going to fill my whole dining room up because you guys are a bunch of crazies. There's, you know, this virus is very real, right? Any, any places that have reopened in other countries, we're starting to see immediately there's been a resurgence, especially around 
what we'll call relationship places, bars, nightlife. You know, it, it lets it, people are extra close in these places. You know, you're drinking with your buddy next to you, you're talking here, you're dancing with somebody. It's a different world. And what I'm hoping, it's not just a matter of getting our places, it's getting people to realize that this is not a political thing. It's a protective thing that if it's like someone smoking when we, we in New York city told me you had to smoke outside and it was like, Oh my God, you guys are horrible. You're picking on us. It's like, well, if you're blowing the smoke on the person next to you, it's yeah. not nice, you know? <laughs> so if you're breathing on somebody or you're walking up without a mask, what a lot of us have already seen is some people walk up and they don't believe in it, it's okay by them that they don't have a mask and they'll talk to you. But you're on the other end of that going, can you put a mask on? I don't, I, yeah, I, I don't want to see your face. I just want to see your eyes, you yeah. know, put a little straw in it. I don't care, you know, whatever that's going to be. Yeah. But that that's something that I'm hoping societally that everybody can realize it's not, this isn't a choice. It's a health thing. It's, it's to protect your neighbor, to protect that other person. So a lot of employers, we are scared in the hospitality side that here you are opening and you're following a rule, but then you're also getting that direct conflict of someone thinking that you're challenging their rights. Yeah, it's yeah. not challenging rights, it's just common decency. Um, yeah. But anyway, I, I think people have to realize that it's, 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 a, it's, it's a virus. You know, it's not, it's not something that can be, you know, treat it real and respect your neighbor, I guess is what it is. So sorry. Yeah, to... Nature always wins. Yes, yes it does. <laughs> right? I've, I've hiked in the woods. I've seen a grizzly bear. Nature always wins, right? And I think, <laughs> you know, when it, it's, to your point, Brian, though, I think there there's some resources that are starting to emerge. So Brian mentioned the industrial development agencies or IDAs or LDCs, local development corporations. Um, across the state, many are putting together funds to support the purchase of initial purchase of PPE or any accommodations that need to be made within organizations or facilities, like putting up plexiglass, that kind of thing. Um, and then I know local workforce areas and local workforce boards, so like the Sullivan County Workforce Board, um, are working to put together on-the-job training or other trainings that can be provided um, like sort of free of charge to employers, right? And so it's like, I think every little bit helps. But one thing I do want to add here is like, we're not going to have people who can spend money unless we have people who have jobs, right? And I think the ongoing challenge here is, as Brian shared, the people who have been disproportionately impacted are people who have been working in the service sector or service industry all folks who are really highly skilled, but skilled in a specific discipline, the ability for those folks to be able to get back to work, I think it's going to be a challenge. I think it's going to be a long recovery for hospitality and tourism. And so the quicker we can think about ways to retool their skills and abilities and their competencies to be able to support the growing sectors or industries and regions, ones that are able to operate and to function, the better off we'll be. Because we won't have people who can go to Brian's distillery if they don't have a paycheck. And so I think, again, it's this, we're in this like weird tug and pull. I've been listening a lot about stuff related to the WPA and like what that looks like. Like this is not a small thing. This is a massive restructuring. Um, and many people across the state are barely rubbing two nickels together at this point. Well, you, and you, you see when you talk about restaurants and bars and all the places that everybody wants to go, when I spoke to a restaurateur in the city that owns a very well, well-known, famous, famous restaurant, and he goes, you know, one, who are my clients when, because most of the stuff, a lot of restaurants is corporate spending. There's people going out on company things for happy hours, for this, for that. Now you have everybody staying away from each other, but now you're getting told because you have to, is you're going to operate at 50% of the tables in your place. 
but you have 100% of rent that has to get paid. So you think about every one of these places, the, the, the waterfall effect of this, it, it's crazy as they go like, oh great, you're reopening, but then they're going, well, gee, I have to pay a rent of 100,000, whatever it is a month for these places in the city or every anywhere, rent is high and you have half the volume, it's it's going to re require a lot of reimagination, um, and and you got to remember where where do people make most of their margin, on the alcohol, not on the food. Food's right. great. It's like great. We're out there serving meals. That's awesome because that's taking care of society. But the way restaurateurs make their money is on the profits on the drinks. You know, even a glass of iced tea is a very high margin, you know, opportunity to go and offset the cost, the low cost of margins for food. Um, so it's going to be a really, really strange comeback. Um, wait to see what, what our brothers and sisters can do in that industry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's sad to see because I, I know a couple of restaurants that I used to, I'm originally from the city, um, uh, that have closed down because they they are offering delivery, but they just can't make it on delivery alone, uh, which is one of them was, was uh, the one in Washington Heights, Cubans, I think was, uh, they shut down. They all offering delivery, but they just can't make it without delivery alone. And the deliveries are great, but you need yeah. a small footprint and you need it. You can't have that overhead. As soon as right. you have overhead, you're, you're in fine dining. How many people can afford a, a fine dining um, meal at their house? How yeah. many people are ordering that to go? Yeah. Uh, so it's, 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 it really is amazing how fragile this world was and um, looking, hopefully we can rebuild it in a more clever manner. No, definitely. Um, Melinda, see, maybe, I don't know if you, you sort of answered it a little bit, but uh, what trainings do you guys provide um, uh, for this type of new world that we're going to live in? Well, so um, I'm a membership organization, right? So like a chamber of commerce. Um, and my members include anyone from community-based organizations that work with people who are formerly incarcerated to community colleges and the college systems to BOCES, right? So it really runs the gamut. I think at this point, we're just trying to figure out what, what the economy is going to be moving ahead. Right. As you can imagine, we're sort of consistently in a gamble around which skills we're investing in to be able to make sure people can to move ahead. I think a couple of places where there's opportunity, um, there will be a ton of opportunity to advance manufacturing for us to invest in skills. There'll be a ton of, of um, opportunity in clean energy and green jobs. I think that's that is going to continue to happen and continue to circulate, especially now that we're seeing all these folks who are um, staying home, not driving as much. Like there's so many other opportunities. We've seen so many benefits. And, from us sticking around and staying home um, on the environment. Um, and then there's gonna be consistent need in healthcare. So I think that's a place that we're starting to see opportunity and value. On the healthcare side, one of the things that folks might not know is one of the challenges we're seeing is we're also seeing layoffs in the healthcare sector. And it's primarily because elective, like elective procedures aren't happening, which tend to be the money maker at hospitals. And so we're also seeing a lot of like dislocation and shifting and changing even within sectors or industries. But the challenge is, you know, many of the caregiving occupations are really poorly paid jobs and just not great conditions, right? If you're a home health aide working in a nursing home or someone who's going into people's homes and providing direct care, um, the wages are really typically very low. And so to Brian's point before, I think we're even gonna see a pretty massive shift in healthcare and healthcare is likely gonna be restructured, which will likely mean new opportunities and training. So I think those are some of the initial opportunities that we think we're gonna see. Um, I think we're really hopeful that the governor's um, regional economic development councils and economic investments that he's been making over the last eight or nine years continue, because I think without that sort of surge of investment in some of the, the companies and uh, providers who already exist here, it's going to be tough for us to do any sort of business relocation because 
no one has money to move, right? Yeah. So now's the time, I think, for us to double down on the existing businesses we have here in New York State. Yeah, definitely, definitely. To sort of, uh, I just, well, I just want to bring up one point. I'm not sure this is off topic, but, you know, like the, the people staying home now. I read an article, I think it was in New York Times, had it. Uh, about yeah, it's great that people are staying home, and I, you know I'm enjoying my staying home. I, I like that I could work from my office and go see my daughter uh, two feet away from me. Uh, but the 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 business that was provided or the business that was generated from commuting uh, is going to change. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much is in Sullivan County. I guess Sullivan County, you know, you can drive to Dunkin' Donuts on the way to work and pick up you know breakfast or something like that. Uh, but you see it more in the city, like you know, those who take the subways. Uh, visit the newsstands, get coffee, you know, do this, buy something in the store as they walk and buy. I guess, uh, I guess the, the whole economy will really start, that's going to change. And, and, and I guess new, like I said, new businesses are going to pop up out of that. So I, hopefully that does happen. Uh, that's not really a question. I guess it's just a statement. But Well, it's interesting you raise that, though, because I was on a call with a bunch of other states uh, last week. And one of the things that they're looking at, even around spread, is commutation patterns. Recognizing you might live in Sullivan County, but you might commute to Westchester. Right. So what does it look like just even in terms of uh, regulating the virus? Um, but I also heard something very similar about like bodegas in the city. And to Brian's point, like their rent can be anywhere between 50 and 100 grand a month. And so many of those like immigrant families who have had this institution in their families for decades now are not going to have that as a, a safety net because they can't pay rent. And so I think we're going to see a pretty massive shift. Um, I also think, honestly, employers are recognizing they have more productive employees. <laughs> They have employees who um, in some ways are working 10 to 12 hour shifts because they're sort of moving in and out, but they also don't have to pay rent. Yeah. And the biggest cost driver for most businesses is that physical space. So I would be shocked if we didn't see a pretty big restructuring on, in real estate and in large city and markets uh, moving forward. Yeah, that migratory pattern that you just mentioned and you said that you were thinking out loud is the person that is going from where you are and hitting that Dunkin' Donuts and then going to work or the bakery or the little bagel shop or whatever it might be, those people, you know, the, the jobs go, you know, if there is no revenue, there's no business. It, it's, it's a, it's such an impact. Like all these things are, you know, when we say about reopening, everybody, no one knows, you know, no one, you just don't know how it's kind of hard to plan for the future, the short term without, you know, I can't imagine your guys position, Melinda. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. It's hard enough running a small business that was based on tourism. Like, I don't know if people are going to come here again and stand out at my cocktail. I can't even imagine opening my cocktail bar to where people were sitting a couple of feet away from each other, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's, it, you know, but these are the choices that every business has to make, you know, is, is, is it profitable? And if it's not profitable, is it worth being in that business? And, you know, that's, that's a, it's a shame. Well, and I think for the workforce side, just to sort of add is I think, you know, workers are also now faced with the decision, like, is it worth my safety and my health, right? Like, like that's a, it's a real concern because like Brian shared, like, this is real. It is significant, especially if you know anybody who lives in New York City or downstate, you know, my, my staff has been directly impacted. We had someone who lost a family member, right? Like it's, this is a real thing. And I think it's, it goes to say the economy was really good for a long time. It still wasn't great for everybody. It just wasn't, you know, we still have many people who are living paycheck to paycheck. Um, I think a lot of folks like me who work in a white collar job, who have high levels of education, I will be fine. 
right? I worry very much for the folks who are really living paycheck to paycheck, because to your point, like the opportunities to be able to take on these jobs are just going to evaporate if we don't have the same sort of level of activity that we've had across the state. And, you know, when you talk to the Sullivan County workforce folks, they're seeing huge lines and huge numbers of people coming into the food bank and other places, people who never needed food assistance before. And so I say that because I think the businesses are making tough choices. The people who work are also making really tough choices. Um, and I think it's just going to be a different, we're going to be in a different universe a year from now. And I think it's just going to be interesting for us. Maybe we'll have a conversation in a year and say, can you believe that that happened? I, <laughs> I hope all the things are good things, right? That, I that hope it all goes things. back to normal. <laughs> but I think it's going to be for sure very much a new normal. Yes, no, definitely, definitely. I mean, that leads into my last question I was going to ask. Like, what is what is the general outlook, do you guys think? I mean, none of us has a crystal ball. And, and you know, especially when it, when this uh, pandemic sort of started here in Sullivan County, every day was something new. You know, we thought one, one day was something and then boom, something else. And now, you know, beginning kids weren't infected and then now they were affected. Now we have a new thing with the kids now uh, that, you know, this, it's just wearing. Um, uh, what does what's the, what does a post COVID nineteen world look like to you guys? I, I don't think there is a post COVID nineteen world. I think we have a world with COVID nineteen. Um, but you know what scares me about Sullivan County is, and it's a scared, but it's it's also I'm hoping everything goes away tomorrow and snap a finger and it's 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 perfect again. But now we have a new migratory pattern of our summer you know, all of our summer visitors that come up here, you know, they're all our fans and friends and, 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 you know, I'll call it the, the, the prohibition distillery family that come to visit and that keep us alive through tourism all summer. But at the same point is what does that mean to the infrastructures and healthcare? And, you know, it's, 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 it's going to be a different, um, sorry, I, I'm just trying to even think because we're trying to plan for next month. And I keep looking at it going, are we going to have people outside? And if we do, where do we put them? How far away? How do you plan for it? Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm sorry. I got uh, just my head got lost in the thought of, of all these people coming into one area during the summer from, you know, all the way from Long Island and Jersey and here and there, because this is where they love to be. You know, everybody loves to be up in the Catskills during the summertime. No, and definitely, I just want to jump in real quick here. It definitely, if you just look at how it was last summer, last year, last summer we celebrated the 50th anniversary of Woodstock and how, mm -hmm. you, know, we're, you know, everything was, was up and going. Tourism was up, uh, you know, every, every weekend was something going on in these towns celebrating uh, Woodstock. And it was just fantastic to see the restaurants filled and, and you know, everything going on. In my past six years, I've been here in Sullivan County. I've seen the, the the increase of business going up, you know, especially like in Bethel. Um, it was, you know, one or two restaurants open, but now there's every summer it's just packed on, on a Friday, Saturday night, which is fantastic. Now I, I just don't know what's going to look like in this summer. Is that even going to happen? But if Melinda, if you want to chime in, what, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I think, I think the, the unfortunate reality, I think this summer is going to be similar um, to what we've got now, to be completely honest. And again, this is based in, you know, just what I've been ever able to read and the things that I've been able to look at from other countries and, you know, just recognizing the proximity of Sullivan County to New York City. Like, I just, I just don't think we're going to see, if anything, people are just not going to be comfortable <laughs> in some instances of like going back to normal. I think where, where I'm concerned or I'm starting to, to see some, not red flags, but makes me nervous. Like, I don't know if school's going to open in September. 
you know, we're already seeing colleges and universities moving completely to online. Many of our upstate communities are fueled by those college towns, right? Like, I, I see there being a shift. I think on the positive, not to bring it back to workforce, like, again, we have a huge opportunity to take this moment in time, if we can keep people subsidized in terms of their ability to like stay afloat, to totally retrain our workforce, to be the most talented workforce in the country, right? Like we've got a moment to do it and it's around it. We've invested in the, the employers, we're gonna invest in the people and we're gonna come back bigger and better. If we had the most talented workforce in the world, we would have no problem recruiting people to come here, right? So I think it comes back to this, like, let's not, let's just not wait. Like, let's use this as an opportunity, as a, the pause, to use like the governor's language, but also a pause and like refresh, right? right. Did you like that analogy? I just did that like computer. Yes. <laughs> okay. yeah. and, and Patrizio, on, on, from a standpoint of the hospitality industry, as we open, as we move to open, I know that Sullivan Tourism and all the different hotel partners that are that are all part of everybody's working diligently to try to figure you know because it's not about not it's understanding what the guidance is and adhering to the guidance but even taking it steps further so i know those are the conversations that that you know the the business community is having from a tourism standpoint of how to make this not only you know what is that new normal how to prepare for it and then figure out a way to make sure that when people visit here, that they do feel safe, that they do feel welcome. Um, I know sometimes you pull down a wrong street with the wrong license plate lately. People are like, oh my God, you're from Jersey. You yeah. know, what are you doing? You know, but um, I, I do think that, that our community is going to be as ready as we can be. And let's, let's hope for the best. And, and I think that's all we can do because um, no one has that crystal ball. To your point about Woodstock, right? Like New Yorkers are known for being pretty creative. Like I can already imagine like, you know, social distance dance parties. Like there's all sorts of fun, like crazy <laughs> things that people are going to come up with. Like, and you even seen it, you've seen it now in terms of like the fact that we've done so many things over Zoom. You know, I think we're also going to see a whole bunch of new business opportunities popped up that we never thought could be anchored here in New York state. And so again, I'm trying to remain hopeful. I've got three little kids at home and you know, <laughs> what you want to be able to do is to think, okay, the next couple of years are going to be great. Um, and so I think part of this is just putting that energy towards making those things happen. No, I agree. And I, I do like the, the analogy. This could be, you know, a pause and a sort of reset um, and new things that come out of this and, um, and you know, new businesses, new opportunities. Uh, people, you know, who are like, like Brian, who are entrepreneurial are going to come up with great ideas and say, hey, you know, this is what's happening to me. What can I do? And, and, and sort of shift and, and pivot into, you know, other things in, that you can do. So I do appreciate you guys. Ooh, 47 minutes. Wow. I do appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for talking to me. Melinda, Brian, thank you so much for talking to us. And uh, um, and I really appreciate you uh, spending time here um, doing this. So I really appreciate it. Um, Thanks so much. Thank you. Remember to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Also, if you need a subscription, call our office at 845-887-5200. Thank you. Have a great day.